Morning. We are in this third message. This is us. If you have a copy of the scriptures, where we'll be this morning is in the Paul's letter to the Colossians, uh, which is in the dead middle of your New Testament. We have a copy of that or turning it on, turn to the book of Colossians, and we'll get there in a minute. I uh, had lunch with a friend uh, this week um, that I know from the church, and he had a really tough year, I think he would say. You know, just was a, a, an unusually tough year, the last 12 months, kind of this time last year is when it started. So we were just catching up and talking, and I said to him, but he had brought it up. And he said, you know, how was Easter? Just asking me how my Easter was. And I said, it was great, this and that. And I said, how about you? And he just kind of had this look on his face like he wanted to talk about it. It was sort of a, kind of a, a look of satisfaction and, um, you know, um, peace. And he said, you know, I spent it with my family. And his family's not in, in Rochester, so he deceives them, but not all the time. And he said, I go, how was he? He goes, it was really good, you know, kind of like it was good to be with my family. And he said, you know, the thing about family is, he said, they, they love you, they get you, and they judge you where you need to be judged. But he said that with a smile on his face. In other words, he wasn't saying, he was basically saying it was really good, you know. Like it was, it, after the year that I've had, to be with these people who, who love me, I know that, and who get me, and basically were able to say some things to me, this is my interpretation, that aren't always hard to hear, but they're important. But he said it with a smile on his face. He said it with a sense of, of satisfaction. I just thought to myself, that's a perfect summary of really what this whole series is about, what I've said the last two weeks and what I want to say today, that the gospel radically changes or should change the way we do relationships, right? Not just, of course, we talked about husband and wife last week or kids, uh, parents, uh, close friends, but the body of Christ, right? We should be in relationships where people truly love us, right? And love is, of course, we'll talk about this morning, love isn't always affection, love isn't always warm feelings, but that truly love us, that get us, right? It's, I mean, think of how difficult it is. You, you're not going to share your burdens, your biggest burdens, or even your greatest joys with, you know, someone three cubes over. People need to get you. You don't get somebody overnight that get you. And then also people who've earned the right, as we've said this, you know, speak the truth one to another, and in this way we um, grow mature. In this respect, we are mature. This is key. This is really the key idea. And we're going to look at a subject this morning, just one, and the message called called to forgive, um, which is about forgiveness. Because if you really want to go deeper in your relationships, it doesn't matter what it is, right? Could be your spouse, of course. Could be your parents. Could be your, your best friends. It could be uh, the people in your community. If you really want to go deeper, right? Conflict isn't, maybe it'll happen. It, you know, it, there's a chance it'll happen. It is inevitable, conflict will happen. Now, why is that? Why is it that conflict is inevitable? Well, conflict's inevitable because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why. I'm the problem. That's why we started this message. You have to begin with yourself. You're the problem. Conflict is inevitable, right? Whether you're Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter your religious background, your, 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 whether you had great parents, which is awesome, or you had not great parents, which is not awesome, it doesn't really matter. Conflict is inevitable. And if you really want to go deeper in relationships, the greatest impasse to intimacy of any kind, having better friends, having a better relationship, 
is conflict and how we deal with it, as we talked about. And that's why the Bible, right, you, if you think about it, it's sort of at the heart of the Bible. This whole idea of forgiveness, yes, God's forgiveness to us, of course, not only in Jesus, but the whole sacrificial system's about forgiveness. Think about it. You could almost say the fountainhead of the scriptures is forgiveness, but it's not just what God has done for us. It's what we're called to do with each other, right? So it's called to forgive. That's our, that's our passage this morning. That's our topic. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Therefore, right, circle that, you know, big therefore. It's always about therefore. Things are gonna change. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, and we're talking about deeds here today, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me make a statement that is certainly affirmed in this passage, was certainly affirmed if you were here last week and we talked about uh, husbands and wives, but really is affirmed, and I would say is certainly affirmed if you think about it, in your everyday life, whether you are a student, whether you're a parent, whether you're a professor, you know, whatever you are, this would be certainly affirmed in your lives, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. As I've said, number one, conflict is inevitable in relationships, and the deeper the relationship, that when conflict comes, the deeper the relationship, the more significant is the conflict. Now, why is that? Jeff's shaking his head. Of course, why? It's, it makes sense. Because the deeper the relationship, husbands, wives, parents, children, good best friends, whatever the case may be, you are more vulnerable in relationships, right? The people that I'm closest to, I'm more vulnerable with them. It's the nature of it. They know me. I know them. They see me at my best. They see me at my worst. They know what's going on in my life. I'm more vulnerable. And the people to which I'm more vulnerable are going to have the potential to hurt me more. Their judgment, their criticism, their unfaithfulness, their not keeping their promises, definitely has more impact or has the potential to have more impact on than people that I meet on the bus, you know, or that I don't know very well. It's, it's kind of a no-brainer. So here's the big idea, or they, in a sense. If conflict is inevitable, which I think we hope you would agree with me this, then forgiveness, learning how to forgive, is essential if you want to have deeper relationships. We say, well, can't you just go through life and just only go so far and avoid it and don't worry about it and, and, and bury it and, and just you know, find new friends? Well, I guess you can do that. But if you really are committed to wanting to grow deeper in your relationships, conflict is inevitable, then forgiveness is essential. And this is what we're gonna talk about quickly. First point, I think these are Paul's points. I'm just calling them out. You need to start with your own story. Now, what do I mean by that? Start with your own story. This is a, this is a couple-step process of how to be a better practitioner of forgiveness. Paul says this one verse. In this one verse, 12, I'm sorry, verse 12, 
He's gonna pack a ton of, of theology in this one verse. I'm just gonna take a minute to try to pull it out to you. If you were reading this or you were in the congregation in Colossae when this first happened, and you were in the world of the, when the world's, the primary religion of the world was Judaism, you might have got this, and maybe you and I don't get it right away, but I'm gonna try to point it out to you. He uses three words, and these are not picked casually. These are very intentional words, as the New Testament writers do, and the words are this, chosen, holy, and dearly loved. He looks at these people, and if you wanna do this today, later, read the first half of chapter three, before the therefore. The people he's talking to were people that, whose lives were a mess. Immorality, impurity, evil desires, greed. Was the church was made up of people that were broken and sinful, especially in the New Testament because they went beyond Judaism to Gentiles, to pagans. And all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's sort of the, the, the prince and the pauper thing. It's all of a sudden you're given a whole new classification, Right? It's like taking somebody out of a slum in a third world and adopting them into some beautiful home in Pittsburgh, New York overnight and saying, this is your new life. In verse 12, he uses those three words. You are chosen, you are holy, you are dearly loved. Now, let me show you the context of where that comes from very quickly. If you have a copy, you can follow in Deuteronomy 7, but just to show you what the Apostle Paul is really doing here. Verse six, he's taking words that come out of one of the most important moments in the history of the people of God in the Old Testament to make a theological point. And the theological point is this. God loves you not because of how good looking you are, not because of how smart you are, not because of how rich you are, not because you brought anything to the table whatsoever, simply because he's chosen you and to set his love upon you. It has nothing to do with you and everything to do with him. It's called grace, and it ought to change your life. Look at verse six. This is Moses giving a sermon to the second generation, the first generation of the people of God out of Egypt. They failed. They disobeyed. They turned inward. They forgot what it really meant to be a follower of the God of Israel, and they imploded. And Moses comes to the second generation. He says, in so many words, the whole book of Deuteronomy is a big sermon that says, don't make the same mistake your parents did. Verse six, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you would never guess that you'd call this group of, of complaining, self-centered, you know, uh, 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 you know calf-making idolaters uh, uh, holy, but that's what they're called. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. There's word number one. The Lord your God has chosen you, verse word, uh, the second word, out of all the peoples of the face of the earth, and then verse seven. Now, why are you, why is he calling you holy? Why has he chosen you? Here's the key. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you are numerous than other people. Let me, he says, listen, uh, get real. God didn't choose you because you're the best looking girl at the prom. God didn't choose you because you have the best muscles. God didn't choose you because you were the smartest. In fact, you were in some ways, you were the fewest of all the peoples. That's what he's trying to say. You need to understand what redemption and grace is all about. If you're ever gonna get good and better at truly loving other people, you better get a grasp on God's love for you. It's unconditional, it's undeserved. And when it gets a hold of you, it'll change your life. But, it, but, verse eight, it was because the Lord loved you, right? There's no reason given. 
And he kept the oath he swore to his ancestors that he would bring you out with a mighty hand and redeem you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. God loves you. He's a promise keeper. And what we're saying here is is this. Your ability to love well, which is really what forgiveness is, right? Your ability to love well is rooted in your understanding of how undeserved and how amazing God's love is for you and the disposition it creates, verse 13, or I'm sorry, verse 12. Therefore, you're chosen, you're dearly loved, you're all these things. Therefore, it should produce in you compassion and humility. What you need to do to be a forgiver to the people who have offended you, it needs to start with humility, right? Right? Because the biggest enemy to you being able to forgive someone who's wronged you, who's hurt you, who's criticized you, who's judged you, who doesn't do things the way that you do, who's wronged you, listen, who's been unfaithful to you in some way. The biggest enemy is your judgment, is your criticism, right? Is your, you know, uh, uh, you know your, your, your feelings of condemnation, which, by the way, are native and natural to human beings. Your judgment, your self-righteousness that not only acknowledges your hurt, that acknowledges that you have been wrong, but also says, whether it's out loud or not, I would never do that to you, right? But here's the secret truth of the gospel, We said this last week. What is the gospel really? That's why you start with your own story. Do you believe this? You are more evil or wicked and sinful than you ever imagined, point one, but you are far more loved than you ever dreamed. And let me tell you something about that person who never paid you back, who spoke behind your back, who threw you under the bus for the job, who, listen, who cheated on you. Let me tell you something. That thing that they did that you would never do, you could do it and there's situations where you would do it. And until you get a handle of that, right, you are holy, you are chosen, you are dearly loved because God loved you when you didn't deserve it. His love is so incredibly amazing. He picked you up. He chose you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. But guess what? That kind of love ought to bring you to a place of humility, that you look at the person who wronged you, you look at the person who didn't keep their promises, and you say, I don't like it. This hurts like hell. But I'll tell you what, I could have done that too. Right? Humility. Second thing you see in this passage, real quickly. Bear with one another, excuse me, but holy, dearly loved. It says, clothe yourselves with compassion. Compassion. Someone did a study. Uh, it was a great Reformed theologian in the late 19th century, but no one's changed it since. Did a careful study of all the the life of Jesus and all the emotions and the behaviors associated with Jesus. It's like a character study. It's a famous study. And what they basically said is far and away the number one um, action, um, character quality, emotion associated with Jesus, what is it? Compassion. So if you really want to know Jesus' compassion, you know what compassion is? It's, It's translated sometimes this. His heart went out to them, right? That's what compassion means. It's, it's to suffer along with somebody else. And let me tell you something about, that's what the word compassion literally means, to suffer with. Let me tell you something about forgiveness. Every act of forgiveness, there is a cost that is paid, right? Somebody pays a cost in forgiveness. We know in the gospel, Jesus paid it all. We sing about it, right? 
But when, you are, when you're forgiving somebody else, if you're choosing to forgive them, guess what? It's not free. It's not a win-win. It's a win-lose. And the loser, the person who pays the cost, is the person who forgives, right? That's what he's trying to say. Your ability to love others is rooted in your understanding of God's love for you. It's about humility. You're only going to have that humility if you truly grasp what God has done for you. And you're only going to have compassion if you truly grasp. Really quickly, let me give you um, an illustration of this. Uh, if you're note-taking, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 is the parable, so I'm not going to read it, but of the unmerciful servant. But Jesus tells this parable in answer to one of his disciples who asked an age-old question that many of us still ask. I still ask it. Lord, how many times... See, the, the disciples hung around with Jesus long enough to see how his life was so different, how he treated people so differently, how he, he exercised forgiveness because it's at the heart of the gospel. We might say agape love. It was so different, so unique, that they began, it began to dawn on them that maybe we should be doing that. Don't like doing that. We like the, you know, uh, uh, you, know uh, you know, talionic justice. We like eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We like that. But Jesus wasn't living that way. And, they be, and then finally, you know, Peter had enough courage to say, well, assuming this is what I need, he said, Jesus, Lord, how many times do I need to forgive my brother or sister when they sin against me? Jesus said, great question. Great question. Now, he says what? 70 times 7, which just means a lot. But then he gives a parable. And there's so much power and truth to this parable. He says, there was a great king. Let's, I'm assuming it's God, probably. Great king. And someone owed him... I think it was 10,000 bags of gold. Now, if you read the commentaries on this, they, it depends on whether it's, you know, this or that denomination. Basically, what they say is it's either millions or billions. But here's what I think the essence, it's a parable, it's a made-up story. In other words, it's an incalculable amount. It's almost like I'm saying, if I said, listen, this guy, he owes me a zillion dollars if I'm trying to tell a story and make a point. This guy owed something that no way could he ever pay it back. And he gets down on his knees and he begs for forgiveness. You know the story. He says, Master, have mercy on me. I'll pay it back. Please have mercy, have mercy. Don't throw my family and me into jail. And the master says, he took pity. His heart went out. He canceled the debt and he let him go. There's the gospel. You are holy. You are chosen. You are dearly loved. Not because you're anything special. In fact, you owe me so much, you're, 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 you're a wicked servant. But I'm going to cancel your debt. Now, this guy, you'd think he'd be bouncing on, you know, walking, uh, you know, can't, can't even keep his feet on the ground. Things would be great. And he's just, you know, his life has changed. Let's pay it forward. It's wow. I mean, this is, when you, this is the guy you want to borrow money from after something. You know, ask a favor to. And somebody comes along him, again, this is a parable, it's making a point, who owes him a hundred silver coins, which is about, it's not nothing, it's, let's say, three months' salary. Three months' salary, whatever that is, it's an amount, but it's, it's, it's peanuts compared to what he was just forgiven, right? It's Jesus' a parable. And he says, have mercy on me, almost the exact same language, making a point, and the guy says, No throw this guy in prison until he pays back the very last penny. And then the servant, the, the, the king hears about it. And he finds out about it and he calls that servant together. And here's the question Jesus is asking us. He says, listen, 
I forgave you this incalculable debt. I canceled your debt. You remember what just happened? You begged me. You would have been in prison forever. Your kids would have been in prison forever. I canceled your debt. And did you not have mercy enough to cancel this guy's little debt? Take this guy, throw him into prison, into, you know, almost basically saying into internal condemnation. You think, wow, what's Jesus saying? Is he saying that it's works-based salvation, that if you, if, you, if you forgive people, you're saved, and if you don't forgive people, you're not? No, he's not saying that's a parable. But I'll tell you what I think he is saying. He's saying you will not have, you will not open your heart, have compassion, take pity on, you will not open your heart to those who owe you, because forgiveness is all about paying a debt, to those who've offended you. The, the reason you didn't open your heart to this guy who owed you something is because you've never really opened your heart to me. That's what he's saying, right? You wicked servant, did you not receive such great mercy from me? See, the problem with many of us, right? You can't really see this on the outside. But the reason we are so judgmental, the reason we are so critical, the reason we have such a hard time with offenses from our spouse, from our friends, from, from people in our life is because it's not about being right. The reason we do not extend compassion and with the eyes of humility to how other people have treated us, the reason we don't, we're not good forgivers, we're not good lovers, so to speak, is because we've never really opened our lives to God's love, right? You gotta start with your own story. I gotta start with my own story. Second thing, it starts in here, but it has to, it's ultimately about an action. You need to grant forgiveness before you feel it, okay? This is the essence of this teaching, right? You need to, that's why he says, bear with each other. If it was easy, would you say, bear with each other? Forgive one another. If anyone has a grievance against you, and then watch this, the end of verse 13. It's not a suggestion. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. The reason it's a command is you don't feel it right? You say, well, listen, I'm going to do it when I have a warm feeling. When I finally get a warm feeling, then I'll forgive you. When this person has finally suffered enough, right? When they've, when they've earned their uh, 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 hurt the way they've hurt me, then maybe I'll come around to it. Let me tell you something. If you wait for that, it will never happen. Our natural response, as I said, is judgment and self-righteousness. He doesn't say wait for the warm feeling. He says you simply need to forgive. In every act of forgiveness, a debt is paid. If somebody borrows your book, borrows your uh, grill, somebody borrows your, you fill in the blank, and they don't, and they say, listen, Dave, I'm sorry. Thanks for letting me borrow your grill, but I broke it. Well, he's got a choice to make. He can either make me pay for it, and a bad idea, but he can decide. He might say, Rob, listen, it's cool. You, it's okay. But if he says that, if he chooses to forgive me, don't, don't, somebody's paying for that, right? Everything has a, has a it's not just in money. Somebody steals your girlfriend, right? Uh, it's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to many people, but I, I don't know. The fact that I'm thinking about this shows that I still care, but... <laughs> Uh, I was a grad student 
And I was a poor grad student, this best friend of mine, still a very good friend of mine. And we, um, I, you know, it was one of these things where I really liked this girl and, and you know, we saw her here and there. We, we, we together cooked up this ability so that I, it was all about me. I mean, to, so I could meet her and, and be in the right place and this, that, and the other thing. And it all worked out. And I, and I, and I did meet her and we did talk. And I asked her, and we went out. And it, was, and it was so far, it was like, you know, la-la land, right? Okay, it was great. And then I had scheduled right after that to go on this hiking trip. I was a grad student, nine-day hiking trip. And I went on this hiking trip. You know how that happens. You know, man, I'm just like, love the hiking trip. Thinking about her, everything's wonderful. I get back, and my buddy, my, my partner in this whole thing, he says, I really need to talk to you. Like, today, tonight. <laughs> Why? I just got to talk to you. Something really important. Thinking, wow. He comes and he had this look on his face like, I don't know, I'm saying his dog died. We didn't have a dog. But anyway, the point is, like, something bad happened. And he goes, listen, I... Before I say anything, you know, like, just listen to me, and I love you in this. I what? He goes, you remember so-and-so? I go, of course I remember. I've been thinking about her for nine days. He said, I asked her out while you were gone. I was like, are you? I didn't even have a category for that. I was like, what? I, if he said, I saw her with another guy or something, I asked her. You never said anything about this. You asked her out? Five or eight days after I did, I don't, what, why are you crazy? What happened to you? And he said, I don't know what happened to me. I'm just so sorry. Now, let me tell you something. When that happened, I wasn't having warm feelings for my friend. <laughs> I mean, it went on for about a, I mean, it was probably a week. I, I mean, I was, you know, I mean, this isn't the end of the world, but I, 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 was, I was angry. But I realized something. This is what happens when we get offended. It's sort of a, you know, it instantly becomes about more than one thing. Not only did I, what I had these feelings about this, this, this girl, but I realized I'm, I'm going to lose my friend. I mean, I'm, I'm about to lose a friend over this, a really close friend. And so I had to make a decision. I didn't do it that day, but I did it in a, within a couple days. And I said, listen, you know, I'm going to have to let this go, right? If you read that parable, he had pity, he canceled the debt, and he let it go, right? You got to let it go. And I, I didn't have feelings when I did that. Now, it did help that she actually turned him down, but anyway, <laughs> still, still, I had to let it go, guys, right? Forgiveness, you have to grant forgiveness before you, and here's what happens when you don't do it. Here's the danger. Here's the danger. When you don't, now you might give it verbally, I forgive you, but when you don't really let it go, let me tell you what happens. You know this, right? You, um, in a manner of speaking, you might begin just to gossip about that person, right? You don't even know what's happening, but you begin to say things about them in, 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 to people that might not be connected to that person. But in other words, you, you've, you might have forgiven them. You've sort of identified with what they did. You say, maybe I could have done that, maybe not. But you know what? You begin to gossip about them or you privately root in your heart for their um, suffering. You privately root that maybe this won't work out or that won't work out. And when you do that, here's the irony of forgiveness. You have to grant it before you feel it. Instead of things getting better, that turns in on you and your heart doesn't get softer. It gets harder. It gets harder. You have to grant forgiveness before you feel it. Let me tell you, my friend, you know, you know I was going to say this thing, something about guys. I'm not saying guys are any different than women, but you know what? 
a month later, we got past it. I was in his wedding. We're, we're great friends. I never think about it. It just was funny, so I'm telling you this morning. But I never think about it. I never think about it. Eventually, those feelings came back. You have to grant forgiveness before you feel it. And last, if and when you can, you need to seek reconciliation with the broken relationships in your life. Right? This is where the rubber meets the road. Therefore, with God's chosen people, right? God loves you. God has chosen you. He set you apart. He's, he's far outpaced anything you will ever do. He's loved you. That ought to bring you to a place of humility. Second, you need to just choose to forgive, verse 13. Bear with those grievances. You pay the price. You suffer the little bit of a loss of your reputation. You suffer the loss of that money. You suffer that hurt. It's okay because God, you have the resources of the gospel inside of you. You suffer that loss. You pay the price. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's the key idea. And then let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, right? Starts in your heart, but doesn't end there. In other words, this is the idea. What I need most when someone offends me, when I need most so I don't get a hard heart, I need the gospel. I need the peace of Christ in there. I need to remind myself every single day that I am holy, I am loved, I am chosen. I need to retake those gospel resources and I need to, I need to, to um, uh, chew them up and, and, and digest them day in and day out. I need to say, you know what? Compared to what I, the offense I brought before God, compared to the forgiveness he's given me, this is nothing. I can do it. Be my strength, be my wisdom, be my, my heart, and I can go forward, right? I can do it without the feelings. But ultimately, he says this, two kinds of peace. There's the peace in your heart, verse 15b. As members of one body, you are called to peace. In other words, it's about peace in your relationships, Right? Romans 12, 18. If possible, if it is possible, it's not always possible. The person who offended you might be dead, okay? It's, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Wow, right? This isn't just about our own spiritual health. It's about our witness as a church. Jesus says, love, other, uh, 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 love one another as I have loved you, and then people will know you're my disciples. Right? Then people will know my, you're my disciples. You want to know why your neighbors are un underwhelmed by your gospel witness? You want to know why my neighbors are underwhelmed by my gospel witness? You want to know why your brothers and sisters who don't know Jesus as your Savior, your blood brothers and sisters, are underwhelmed by Jesus? Because you don't love other people as God has loved you. It's not about information. It's about whether or not how you live your life. They want to look at somebody who says, wow, how did you do that? How could you possibly have someone treat you that way and do this and take it and bear it and pay the price and love them anyway? Well, I'll tell you why. Because I am loved. I am chosen. I, have, I am so undeserving. I'm the guy that owed 10,000 10, bags of gold and God looked at me and said, I love you. You're my child. And when that gets a hold of you, you can do great things, right? That's the witness of the gospel. 
So we're gonna take this table, uh, 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 ushers, if you'll prepare, but I wanna ask you to do something. Apply this message. Privately, okay, this is between you and God. But what is this table? If you're a Christian, this table is a, is a, is a living parable, right? Jesus said, I only ask you to do two things from an ordinance standpoint. Baptism, you only do once, done. This, why did he do this? Because this is a reminder, a tangible reminder of that you are holy, that you are dearly loved, that you are chosen. It's about what God's done for you. The bread represents his broken body. While we were yet sinners, he did that. And the cup represents his shed blood. That's not, you know, that's not buddy up affection. That's forgiveness, right? But what I would say to you is, as we prepare to take this, here's my challenge to you. We'll take it together in a minute or three. Is ask God, is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? That you've forgotten about? That you've buried? You've put in a drawer somewhere? You've decided it's not important but you didn't realize all along your heart's been getting harder and harder? Or is there someone for whom you need to seek forgiveness? Is there someone that you need to reconcile with? Because we are called as best as our ability, right? As best as our ability. As much as, as is possible, live at peace with all people. Is that true for you? Is that true for me? So what I want to do is in the moments before we take these elements, I want to challenge you to bring that person to mind. Let's see if God leads a person to you. You're not going to make it all happen today, but it has to start with an acknowledgement. And if you have enough courage even, go ahead and write it down on something. You take it home with you. But, but write it down on the bulletin. Write it down in your hand. Okay, if that's your kind of way to do it. Uh, and, and then let's, let's apply this message while we're here this morning. So what we're going to do, we're going to hand out these elements. Uh, this is for believers, for Christians here. You already know Christ as your Savior. We're, 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 we're celebrating, acknowledging our, our God's gift to us. But as you hold these elements, be, be thinking about this. You'll get both the bread and the cup. Take them together. They're, they're stacked on top of each other. Just take them together. Separate them and hold them in your hand. And we'll take them together uh, in a few minutes. But use these minutes uh, to ask God, to, to say, God, is there someone that I need to forgive? Or is there someone who needs to forgive me through whom I need to seek reconciliation? I want, I'm asking you to help me this morning. I'm gonna say a prayer. I wanna put up step, take a step forward and as I take this table, which we'll do together in a few minutes, is I'm going to celebrate the great love you have given to me. I want to take a step towards exercising that love um, with someone else. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these minutes that we have. Use them in every life in this room. Help us, Lord, as we take this table to be reminded of what you have done for us. Help us to remember, Lord, that your love is undeserved. Um, it, is, it is not earned. It was wholly and freely given, Lord, that we might be released to love more like you do. In Jesus' name, amen.